Hey everybody, it was an amazing week, and uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians 4, uh, that's, we are going through the book of Philippians. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one at the end of a row near you, um, and if you uh, don't have a Bible at home, we have some out at the Getting Connected area that we would love uh, for them to be yours, so we would love for that to be our gift to you. While you're turning to Philippians chapter 4, as we're getting close to the end of the book, I uh, wanted to just say uh, how thankful I am for all of the volunteers that uh, poured into uh, the kids that are represented here and from the community. We've had many from our own church and many from the community that were just not able to be here today. Um, and hopefully we can continue to develop relationships as uh, the months and weeks go on. So if that is something that might be of interest to you, just to continue to get to know these families uh, we are, Pastor Byron is going to be organizing some uh, ways that we can go out into the community and continue to keep these relationships going. So please let us know if that's something that uh, you would uh, love to be a part of. Also, we have uh, coming up a fellowship for anybody who is, uh, desires to come, um, and that is a fellowship at Lake Jordan on July the 19th. We're going to do some baptisms out there at the lake. We're going to uh, have a lot of games and stuff and food, so uh, look forward to that time. Put it on your calendar. The details are in your bulletin and also on the website, tccraleigh.org, if you want to know more. So now we're diving into the book of Philippians. What I'll do is I'll read uh, the passage that we're going to look at, and then I will uh, pray. So... Last week we did verses 1 through 7, and now there's a little bit of overlap. Today we'll do verses 6 through 13. I'll read Philippians 4, verses 6 through 13. The Word of God says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I've learned to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would take your word and you would drive it deep into our heart. 
and that you would give us faith to believe that every word of yours proves true. No exception. You always do what you say you're going to do. And you have given us what you say you're going to do. You've given it to us in the Bible. And so, Father, right now, we want your Holy Spirit to move in our midst. Not just give us understanding, but to change our minds that our hearts might be transformed. That we might love you and that we might begin to love one another deeper and we might just spread your love to the ends of the earth. So, Lord, do a changing work, I pray, in our midst. I thank you so much for your promise that you are here with us. May we be expectant that you're going to move and that you delight to use your people to touch one another's lives and to see change throughout the city. Lord, do it, I pray. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Amen. Okay, have you ever finished a test? I mean, the test that you were a little worried about and then towards the end of the test... You had no idea how you were going to do, right? And so then you get the grade back, and it was better than you thought it was. I mean, I know you've had the other experience, but this one was better than you thought it was. And what comes over the heart is this sense of joy and this sense of yes. And what was, you know, that anxious moment, the papers folded, you know, and you're like, what's going to be in here? How much red is going to be on this bad boy? And so it's like anxiety, and then you look at it, yes you know, peace. It's the same kind of experience when you've been looking for a job and you've really wanted this job. And then finally, you get the call or you receive the email that you have been accepted. The job is yours. And it's, there's this sense of calmness. There's a sense of contentment. It regularly is followed up by a sense of joy. And so what do we have? We have a sense that peace is coming over the heart. Same thing as if you're paying off a debt. You know, if you've had a lot of debt, and some of you might still have a lot of debt, but when you pay off even a portion of your debt, and it goes away, there's this sense of accomplishment, this sense of contentment, this sense of calmness. We would call it a sense of peace. Now what the Bible is laying out for us here is a peace that mirrors or reflects a little bit of that kind of peace but goes far deeper. It's far more substantial. It's called the peace of God. And so what's the difference? What's the difference? The peace that we were talking about earlier, they are gifts from God, but they're shadows of the real thing. They're shadows of the real peace with God. It's contentment in the heart, this peace with God. It's contentment in the heart that is not resulting from circumstances or from your own ability. I'll say it again. Those other things were peace in the heart that were resulting from circumstances or your own ability. This is a different kind of thing. This peace with God is a result from confidence in God. That God is who He says He is. That God will always do what He says He's going to do. That God is faithful. And this is the kind of peace, a peace that comes from and is centered on God that Paul says that is possible for the people of God. 
That is the main idea for what we're looking at today. God is able to give us peace. He is able to give us peace. And he's going to do that with peace out of anxiety. And he'll do that through prayer and through focus. And he'll also give us peace despite circumstances as we battle for contentment. The reason I can say that God is able to give us peace, as you look at verse 7 of the passage that I read, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it's deeper than you can fathom, it goes against circumstances, even when you can't understand circumstances, it surpasses all understanding. And then what's the next two words? Okay, that was lame. Okay, what's the next two words? Will guard. When God says will, it always will happen. The peace of God will guard. It will happen. God always gives what he commands. He doesn't say fend for yourself. And so the longing of the human heart is for peace in the midst of anxiety. And here he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God is able to give you peace. That is the ray of hope. And he promises to do it. He promises to do it out of anxiety, through prayer and through focus. And he promises to do it despite your circumstances as you battle for contentment. So let's go at it. Let's dive in. Philippians chapter 4. We're starting in verse 6. But before we dive in there, I want us to notice something that Paul is doing. He is teaching us about peace, but he also bookends it with a conversation about joy. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then he says, verse 6, don't be anxious. Verse 7, the opposite of anxiety is, I'll give you peace. Now look at verse 9. You've watched my life, Paul says, and as you set your mind on these things, as you're obedient, the God of, say it with me, peace will be with you, okay? So the God of peace will be with you. What's the next verse? Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Ultimately, why? Because he realized that he's learned to be content whether he's got a lot or whether he's got nothing. So do you see what he did? Rejoice, peace, peace, rejoice. You follow that? Rejoice, peace, peace, rejoice. Why did he do that? Because peace and joy are interwoven. There's an intimate connection there. And we find that connection in Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22 talks about something called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Say that with me. The fruit of the Spirit. He did not say fruits, plural. It's fruit singular. Why did he do that? The fruit singular of the Spirit, and then he gives a list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the singular fruit of the Spirit. He just bad with grammar, or how's that roll? It's because when the Spirit of God comes into the heart, when He changes you, He comes inside and He gives you the seeds of not just one of those. He gives you the seed of all of them. 
It's the one fruit. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, imperfect as we are, they will all grow in increasing measure. They will all grow in increasing measure. As you have self-control, as you act in faithfulness, peace can begin to come over the heart. Joy begins to erupt. You begin to be a more loving person. They are interwoven gift. It's an interwoven gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit. And so, we need to see here that what then is the difference between peace and joy? And what we've said is peace, the peace of God, is the contentment of heart resulting from confidence in God. It's the contentment of heart, the calmness of heart that results not from circumstances going your way and not from you being really good, but from God being really good and Him being really faithful and consistent despite circumstances. The contentment and calmness of heart That's the peace of God. Peace is the opposite of what? Anxiety. That's right. Verse 6, don't be anxious, I'll give you peace. Well, what's the opposite of joy? The opposite of joy is not sadness. The opposite of joy is hopelessness, biblically. It's when you feel like there is no hope, you are downcast, you are dismayed. But when you are hope-filled, Joy begins to rise in the heart. So let's walk through it. When your heart is content and calm and confident that God is who He says He is and that He's not going to abandon you, you begin to have the calmness of heart that then rejoices, that has an emotion of gladness that comes out of that confidence in God. You follow that? You see how they're together? Hopefully you'll begin to see it even more as we continue to walk through. Because right now, Paul says, I promise you, God is able to give you peace. God is able to give you peace, and He is going to give you peace out of anxiety. And it will result in joy, but He'll do that through prayer. Now, it's interesting here. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about, what's the next word? Anything. You know, I really wish he was a little more specific. You know, we don't get the source of the anxiety there. But he assumes that the recipients, they know that emotion of anxiety. He assumes that they get that. He assumes that they get what it means to be worried or fearful. And so what might the anxiety be? It could be the anxiety from sin. We've already heard that there were these two women in the church... Yodia and Syntyche in verse 2 that were fighting against each other. There was a sense of disunity. Anxiety can come because all of a sudden you are convicted over your sin and you are afraid of the consequences. You're worried about the consequences. Worry can also come because you don't know the future. The future is unknown. You don't know what's going to happen two seconds from now, let alone two years or 20 years. You don't know the future. Anybody in this room could have your life totally altered by one text message or phone call. You have no clue. 
If that doesn't make you anxious, then what about finances? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for that? Material possessions, how is this going to work out? What about my job? What about attacks from others? There's infighting in the home. You might look really nice and pretty today. Going behind closed doors, it doesn't look so pretty maybe. You feel attacked. You feel attacked from those in your neighborhood, those in your family. All of these are potentials for fear, worry, anxiety. And Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. I want to talk to him almost and say, are you just like out of touch with reality? This is a messed up world. Don't you know that? And then I step back and I'm like, he's writing this from prison. And he doesn't know if he's going to come out alive. Okay, okay. So maybe he does understand what a circumstance that might lead towards anxiety could be. We cannot relegate this and say, oh, that was back then. If they only knew how hard I had it now, he wouldn't be writing this way. No, Paul in prison, staring with, at death in the face, he says, don't be anxious about anything. But through prayer, find peace. So, as we look at it, I'm just going to walk through some of those sins and insert, or some of those anxieties, some of those struggles, and I'm going to insert them throughout the sermon of just how we can tackle some of those anxieties and through prayer work them out and find what we pray that God would give us peace. So, what I want to do is I want to start with something that is most central, most core, and that is something that has to do with the gospel. That is, we are all sinners. You want to worry about something? Worry about your eternal destiny. How do you know what's going to happen when you die? If there's anything that would terrify you, it could be that question. And the scriptures lay out for us that the answer for that probably greatest fear, the fear of death, is answered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, He came and He lived the way we could not live. He lived in complete perfection, obeyed perfectly. And staring at sin in the face, knowing He would have to take the sin of all humanity, knowing He would be mocked and ridiculed and beaten and crucified, He voluntarily, in love, walked the Calvary road for you and me who do not deserve it. Who at every opportunity take the monstrous exchange of wanting to put ourselves on the throne and push Him aside. And only use Him like a Coke machine when we can put in a coin and say, God, you better rescue me now. We are all so culpable. We are all such idolaters. And Jesus said, I will not say Away with you. I'll die for you. So that then anyone 
who says, I cannot fix myself, I cannot change myself, I must be honest and straight up and say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Savior's not me. That Savior's Jesus. He's my only hope. He died the death that I deserved. He rose from the grave to show He's more powerful than I am, and He can conquer sin, Satan, and death. And so I want to surrender my life to Him and give it to Him. And He promises that at that surrender, he sucks up the fear of death because he promises an eternal life. A life with him forever and ever. Not built upon how good you were, but built upon how good Jesus is for you. Are you anxious about your future that way? Some of you, many of you in this room, you're believers. You trust in Jesus imperfectly, but you love Him. You treasure Him. But what about when you sin? And every one of us does, right? The angry word. The temptation to cheat at work to get ahead. And you did it. The lie you told so you didn't look stupid. What do we do with the lustful looks that are not honoring to God? What do we do with those inappropriate relationships? What do we do when we drink too much? What do we do? And the Spirit of God comes and He presses in on the heart and He says, Gently yet clearly, firmly, your life was meant for something more. Turn from this. You are walking a path of destruction. Turn. Ask for forgiveness. The Bible says if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to cleanse you, to wash you clean of all of your sin, all of your unrighteousness. And He says He will forgive you. Christian, just what gets you in the door is repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. That's what keeps you at peace with God is constant repentance and constant faith. But now let's say you said, God, I should not have yelled at my kids. And you say, God, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I need your forgiveness. And... You go to your children and you say, I should not have yelled at you. I'm sorry for that. But guess what? It still hurt them, didn't it? And now you're afraid of those consequences. Will they talk to me again? You're afraid, what if I get found out that I lied? Will anybody trust me again? You begin to be afraid of the consequences. You spent money unwisely and now you've got debt. You are forgiven, but the debt still stares you in the face, right? Does that not evoke fear and anxiety? And through prayer, you take this to God. And Romans 8.15 helps you here. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Although you sin." You have been delivered. You've been set free. You have a new master. 
He says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is the gospel. Even if you would have not lied yesterday, you would be no more acceptable to God today. Because God does not accept you because you're perfect. You already blew that one and so did I. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We are accepted by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Him alone. Our action yesterday did not earn us more points that gets us into heaven and our wrong action doesn't demerit us that we got to work out of it. We are accepted by faith alone. And therefore, we obey not to get points before God. We obey because Christ has changed our lives. He's come inside of us and therefore we obey because we love Him and we love others. The gospel speaks that we have a different father. We are no longer orphaned. We have been accepted and that he is working for us. Therefore, through prayer, you say, Oh God, I trust you with the consequences. God, I trust you with the consequences because I've been forgiven of sin and I'm fighting to walk in obedience and I trust you with the consequences. What do you do with the anxiety of your own sin? You take it to God in prayer. Look at the verse with me. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Prayer is right. It puts you in the right spot. It brings you low and brings him high. You are lowly and he is holy. You are small and he is not. You are weak and he is strong. And prayer says all of those things. God, I can't fix this. And God then through prayer begins to align your heart and take over your heart. And then it says in the text, and everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is calling out to God to answer. It's like you've been praying things to God and you just pray, oh God, answer. As I'm coming up to preach, I'm praying, oh God, I have been praying. People have been praying for me. Now move by your spirit throughout this place. Answer, I pray. And then it says, with thanksgiving. Not only calling out for answers to prayers previously done, but it's praying with thanksgiving. Now what does that look like? What does that look like? I'm praying with thanksgiving. Well, the anxious heart is struggling to be thankful, right? I don't have enough money to pay these bills. Where am I going to live? Where's the job going to come from? Will my spouse ever talk to me again? Over and over and over and over. Anxiety is not necessarily a thankful heart. It's filled and consumed with worry and fear. And here he says, you fall in prayer in your heart, whether physically on your knees or whatever. It's the bowing of the heart. You're calling out to God, but you're doing it with thanksgiving? What are you thankful for? You're all worried. Well, 
what you are saying is, God, I am thankful that whatever you do as a result of this prayer, I know it will be for my good and for your glory. And therefore, I am thankful. Whatever you do as a result of this prayer, it will be for my good and for your glory. And therefore, I am thankful. Many of us struggle with issues of control. I know I do battle with it all the time. Just you have this internal movie going of how you think things should roll. Whether it's like how dishes should go, how the house should look, how camp should go here at Treasuring Christ Church, you know, how the service should go this morning. Like you just got all kinds of things in your mind, how your job should go. And you got that movie going. It's just playing. Sometimes it's just totally unspoken. You don't even know it until you get there. But then it's like, what happens when the script changes? The heart starts doing all kinds of funky things, doesn't it? Many times it'll come out as anger. It's not happening the way I wanted it to happen. It's like sand falling through your fingers and it's like you can't keep it together. Or it could come in just being paralyzed. You just shrivel up into a hole. You get really quiet, really distant. Because you realize you can't fix it. It's not going to go like the movie in your brain said it was going to go. And so, what do you do? Once this happens enough and you lose control enough, you begin to be afraid in your heart, anxious that things are not going to turn out as you hoped. Underneath your heart, there is a screaming taskmaster. Screaming. Screaming at you saying, your way has to be observed. It's a craving so deep You just don't know how it's going to be solved unless the movie plays out like you think it should play out. It's a sense of you must have this or you will die. You must have this or you won't have purpose. You must have this or I will be seen as a failure. I must have this. It's the issue of control. And here Paul is saying, your plan, your movie, it could be a really fine plan. It just might not be God's. And so... You pray. It's good to have visions. It's good to have plans. It's good to have direction. But this kind of prayer in Philippians 4, it's a prayer that says, God, I thank you that the burden of ordering future events does not rest on me. God, I am thankful that you've got this. I am thankful that you provide all that I need. I am thankful that you are enough. I am thankful that your steadfast love will never leave me. I thank you in advance that the end result, if it turns out different or if it turns out completely opposite of what I was asking for, it will still be my good and it will still give you glory.
So I'm thankful. Do you get that? Prayer with thanksgiving is a prayer that God is who he says he is. That he's got this and we can trust him. So when the anxiety comes, Ed Welch says it's like a string on the finger. It's to remind you to rehearse who God is in prayer. And it says, in everything, right? Isn't that what the passage says? But in everything by prayer? <laughs> Let me just give you a little help here. It's not just one prayer, and then you've knocked it. It's, okay, the story changed. Okay, I'm trucking. Oh, it changed again. Oh, oh it changed. Oh, prayer in everything. At every turn, you're constantly going to have to say, God, I'm thankful that you have this. I'm thankful that I can trust you. I'm thankful that you are still good. You are my father. You are not my enemy. You love me. I'm thankful. In everything, in prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your requests to God. Let them be known to God. Isn't it hard to sometimes trust God with the future because you really think you're convinced on how it's going to end up? One author says we're all false prophets. We prophesy about how the future's going to be and we miss it 99 out of 100. And then when we get it that one time, we forget all the times we missed it. And it's like, look how great I am. I know the future. And especially poisonous if you get it like five out of a hundred times, right? We're false prophets. Our vision is so narrow, we don't see clearly. And so sometimes that keeps us from wanting to be thankful in our prayers. Something that was so beautiful in an article that Ed Welch wrote on fear and anxiety. He pointed uh, me, and I'm pointing you, to a passage in 2 Kings about the prophet Elisha. And it says this, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. The enemies are boring down upon the people of God. And it says this, when the servant of, man, of the man of God, so the man of God is Elisha, when the servant of Elisha rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all around the city. And the servant said, alas, master, what shall we do? And Elisha just looks at him and says, do not be afraid. Don't be anxious. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You get the picture? Servant kind of looks around. I'm sorry, buddy. All I see is them. I see nothing else. And he says, that's okay. And here's what Elisha prays. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As you spend time with the Lord, he will grow you in what we see here as spiritual seeing. You will never know the, all the future but your eyes will begin to grow to see where God is at work, even though the immediate circumstances look horrific. 
the horrible tragedy in Charleston, South Carolina, where those nine individuals were slain because of racist hatred. When you look at that, it is just so sorrowful. The racist hatred, the death of innocent life. I don't know if you know this, but even since then, there have been six arsons, fires of all African American churches throughout the South. Knoxville, Tennessee, Charlotte, just to name a few. Racist hatred. And you just look at that and it's like you worry, you're anxious about the world. It looks as if the devil has won. It looks as if the enemy is the victor. And I talked to a friend of mine this week. He's a pastor in Charleston, South Carolina. One year ago, the Lord burdened him to try to pursue, with the gospel as the foundation, to try to pursue racial unity among God's church. And he pursued African-American pastors, and they began to get together, and they began to pray. And they formed a group called One Charleston. And they have been praying for a year, just praying and praying that God would bring unity. And then this happened. And he says, I normally plan my, my life about six months out, many times six weeks out. He says, right now we're planning six hours out. He says, I've been interviewed by the Washington Post and the New York Times and local news media. And they are asking, how in the world were these victims able to profess forgiveness? And, and why are, how are you guys able to keep going? And they were able to articulate that the gospel of Jesus Christ, he alone breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. He alone is the solution to racial hatred. And they've been proclaiming it. Five to six hundred people are gathered outside Emmanuel Church. And two of the pastors that are in the leadership core of this one, Charleston, they went and they got platforms and they stood out there and they preached the gospel. Fifteen came to faith in Jesus. They're having a pastor's prayer gathering in Emmanuel AME Church coming up this week. All out of the horrible, putrid ground of death, God is springing forth life. And isn't it just a picture of the cross itself where the devil appeared as if he had won, that sin was the victor. Instead, death has no sting because Christ rose victorious from the grave. We cannot see everything as it is. We have to ask for spiritual eyes. That's why Paul says peace comes through prayer. Peace comes through prayer. And so he says, and let your requests be made known to God. Pray specifically. Pray specifically. This week we had camp. At the beginning of the week we only had 40 people signed up. By the end of the week, the last day, we had over 90 kids that participated in this camp. We had over 60 volunteers that were pouring into them. 
25 plus teenagers who learned not just life skills of construction and fashion, but got to talk about the gospel, and many of them not having heard the beauty of Jesus. And we prayed specifically that God would bring people. You can imagine the anxiety of the heart. You've got about 40 kids, and you need a little bit more. And then you just wouldn't imagine these families just coming in, individuals just coming in our doors. Answers to prayer, specific answers to prayer. We prayed for the weather, that God would allow this to keep going. You should have seen the darkness of the clouds on Thursday. It appeared as if Byron and Brian's you know, fitness time was going to be a wash. No thunder, no lightning. They needed to be in here at 7.40. At 7.40, I heard a rumble of thunder. It's time to come in. It's time to come in anyway. On Friday, we had this event where all the families came and the kids did a presentation of the songs they had learned and showed off some of their construction and fashion stuff. And afterwards, we were going to do popsicles on the playground. Well, it was raining the whole time. As I'm coming up, prepared to cancel popsicles on the playground, this window is open and you look outside and the sun is shining. I do believe God hears our prayers and answers specific petitions. But if he doesn't, I need not fear because he is still good and he is still in control. And so I can have peace and calmness of heart because my confidence is not in me and it's not in circumstances. It's in a God who is always faithful. And so Paul says, Paul says, peace is possible. Verse 7 when you go to God, you take your anxieties, you take your pain to Him in prayer, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is a military image. When you go to God in prayer, He will give you a peace. A peace, a subjective sense of calmness that even surpasses what you can even imagine in your own mind. But a sense of calmness that fights for you that guards your heart from destruction and guards your mind a peace that is your warrior, your defense, because your peace is in God. And so God will not leave you. It's a peace that even though you are facing trial and suffering, it has a depth beyond your intellectual understanding. You can have peace in your trial. You can have peace in your suffering. God is able to do that and protect us from our enemies. Listen exactly to what is missing in this. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus if your spouse obeys. If your kids listen. If your finances increase. If your enemy stops attacking you, none of those are in there. None of them. You didn't miss it. Like I, I, was, I was adding to. Because there is a peace which passes understanding, it passes circumstances because peace is in Christ. It sets up Isaiah 26.3. 
God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Peace comes through prayer and peace comes through the focus of the mind. Comes through the focus of the mind. Look at what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, anything excellent or worthy of praise, think on those things. Prayer, not anxiety, is not only put away, and peace not only comes through prayer, but it comes through a different focus. A focus not on circumstances, but a focus on whatever is true and admirable and beautiful. Whatever is respectable, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Think on these things. Think on them. Set your mind on those. What are we tempted to set our mind on? The anxious heart sets its mind on circumstances. The anxious heart sets its mind on the attack the offense, the lack. And so he says, the peace of God can come through setting your mind on whatever is true and right and lovely and pure. Worry is not that. And he says in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes from the focus of the mind and the focus of the heart on faithfulness, obedience. Here he's saying, do what I've been doing and peace will come. I can tell you, guaranteed, disobedience will bring anxiety. It'll happen. You'll try to pretend as if you weren't disobedient. Then you begin to get deceitful. Then you try, you're looking over your shoulder at every turn, trying to figure out if someone saw you do this or that. Disobedience creates paranoia. It creates the anxious heart. And Paul says, a fixed mind, a faithful life, finds peace. I was reading through in a time of anxiety this week, okay? Let's just make sure I'm really clear about something. Just because I'm teaching on this doesn't mean that I've solved this, okay? I am, I'm like doing this. I'm so thankful there's a back wall because the sound goes bam and comes right back at me. The Word of God is constantly pushing this into my heart. And God used Lamentations 3 this week to deal with some fear, anxiety, fear of man, fear of bad circumstances. I want you to listen. And this, to me, is the honest, raw dealing with fear of people or just the hatred of your circumstances that leads you to anxiety. And I want you to listen to how he focuses his mind and takes a step in obedience. Look at Lamentations 3, 7 through 8. It should be on the screen behind me. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Who's the he in that sentence? It's God. Jeremiah is saying, this is what God has done to me. 
God has walled me about so that I cannot escape. I'm feeling claustrophobic. The chains are heavy. Circumstances are bad. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. I feel like he's not even listening. Have you been there? Lamentations 3, 11 through 17. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. Literally, obviously, he's not to pieces because he's praying this. But it's this sense of just the emotional ripping apart of the soul. It just He feels torn up inside. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He feels like God is against him. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples. People are against me. The object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. That's all I got to eat. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is absent of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. You might not admit it to anybody in here. But he has just put words to what many of you struggle with in the quietness of your heart. And in verse 20, he says, my soul continually remembers my affliction. Do you see what his mind is so tempted to be given to? It's bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I've got hope. Hope. Which, remember, what's the opposite of hopelessness? It's joy. So what you're beginning to see is the battle for peace to no longer be absent and joy to begin to erupt in the heart. And he says, this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. Even though I feel like it has, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Every morning, I'm going to give you exactly what you need to do what I've commanded you to do. I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I'm for you. He says, the Lord is my portion says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Why did he say quietly? It's good that you should put your hand over your mouth when you are tempted to talk as I've just talked, Jeremiah says. It's the focus of the mind. It's the praying in the heart. Oh God, Take these anxious thoughts, and may I set them on whatever is true and noble and right and pure, excellent and praiseworthy. Overcome my soul and give me peace. And Christ is enough. He is enough. And so the final piece of anxiety has to do with many times not having enough material possessions finances are low something like that and he says here in verses 10 through 13 that I verse 11 I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content why because when your confidence is in God you are no longer looking at the gift as your primary goal you're looking towards the giver C.S. Lewis says that the believer, when they see the beams of the sun, they look back up the beams to the sun itself. And many times what we're tempted to do is we're just tempted to sit in the heat and look at the beams. 
Enjoy the blessing. But what happens when the clouds come? Where's that sun? And he's saying, Paul is saying, I have learned to not only see the blessings of life, but to want the blesser more than the blessing. To want God more than his gifts. So that then I can look square in the face of poverty and I can look square in the face of abundance and said, these don't matter. I'm free. I'm not anxious. I'm not defined by what I have. They will not deliver me. God, you are enough. And so he says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through him. The focus of the anxious heart is on a Christ who has conquered sin, Satan, and death and promises he is for anyone who trusts in him. And therefore, church, you can find peace out of your anxiety through prayer and through focus. And you can find peace despite circumstances as you battle the battle for contentment that Christ is enough over things. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I praise you. And I just ask, oh God, that we would not be tempted to say, but our circumstances are different than what Paul was dealing with. We would not be tempted to rehearse our anxiety and put ourselves in a different category, but we would believe God and take him at his word that he is near to the brokenhearted. He is a father who doesn't leave his children. And therefore, through prayer, through the grace of a focused mind and heart, through obedience, and through seeking the gift more than the giver, we can find peace. Father, I ask that you would give us a godliness with contentment. Because that is great gain to us. And I pray that in this moment, you would just help us. You would help us to find the contentment of heart. The calmness of heart that is confident in you. Bring peace to your people. The beauty is, is that Jesus Christ is our peace. And therefore, he is able to give the peace that we need. Lord, I ask that we would be revolutionized as followers of Jesus. That we would believe the fact that we have died to sin and we are alive in Christ. And therefore, we do not have to live as anxious people. Victory has been won. And God, you are near. So may our trust be in you. And now as we take the Lord's Supper, just help us to not only confess our sin, but to confess your beauty and goodness and love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.